Welcome to Inspiration from American History with Rebecca Price Janney. Today's story is called Alternate Lifestyles. They were countercultural and anti establishment, men and women who lived by their own rules, apart from mainstream American life. In breaking from treasured societal norms, they set out to reinvent everything from fashions to families. These radicals also revised cherished church teachings according to their own understanding of God and Jesus, which they considered to be higher and purer than what came from conventional pulpits. There were, however, communes that did not observe any religion at all, considering it to be antithetical to human progress. Perhaps this evokes a mental image of a bell-bottom-wearing individual sporting long, unwashed hair, love beads, fringe, tie-dyed t-shirt, and sandals, accompanied by words such as hippie, Jesus freak, Woodstock, hate Ashbury. That is the right framework, but the wrong era. The first countercultural Americans didn't arrive in the 1960s or 70s, but proliferated in the first part of the 19th century. The Janis Joplin Jesus Christ Superstar generation may have seemed avant-garde at the time, but the truth is they were far from original. They were preceded by more than a hundred years by other revolutionaries who could still manage to raise a few eyebrows today. When the first colonists came to America, most of them were out to become a city on a hill for all the world to see and follow as they practiced their faith freely and told the native inhabitants about Jesus Christ. That they achieved this dream on many points over the next century and a half, including America's defeat of the world's strongest army, led some to believe there was nothing Americans couldn't accomplish this side of heaven, including bringing heaven to earth. In the aftermath of the American Revolution, many utopian groups formed with the goal of perfecting individuals and society. Christianity inspired most of them, but they were anything but theologically orthodox or conventional. In fact, most of them came preaching another gospel. Backwoods utopias peaked between 1820 and the 1840s. They were communal and experimental, with many varieties and expressions, but they were mostly united in their quest for the perfection of society. Historian Sidney Alstrom views them as experiments controlled by charismatic leaders who are most often anti-clerical freethinkers and Christian enthusiasts. Their views about the afterlife varied with the teachings of their leaders, some of whom believed they were chosen by God to bring in the millennial kingdom as this world came to its conclusion. 
Most of these fringe groups embraced universalism in varying degrees, believing that somehow everyone makes it to heaven, even if it's a lesser manifestation of paradise than the true believer experiences. One of America's earliest utopian communities went by the lofty title, The United Society of Believers in Christ's Second Coming, the Millennial Church, but they are commonly known as the Shakers, a nickname given because of their energetic brand of worship. Unlike the majority of radical groups that emerged in America's early days, a woman founded the Shakers, an English immigrant named Anna Lee Stanley. Mother Anne was a dynamo prone to trances and visions. She came to America with her husband, brother, and six followers in 1774 after convincing them that Christ would return as a woman, and by the way, she was the one. She believed that while Christ was the male manifestation of God, she was the deity's female expression. Because of her belief in the duality of God, Mother Anne promoted equality between men and women. She maintained that neither Jesus nor she should be worshipped, however, but that both of them simply were elders in God's church. It was her job, she believed, to call people into lives of blessedness in this world in order to prepare for the next. Another leading utopian experiment was the Oneida Community, founded in Putney, Vermont in 1835 by John Humphrey Noyes. It is, however, mostly associated with the town of Oneida, New York, since the society eventually settled there. Noyes was a stormy man whose confrontations sometimes ended in his censure by those with whom he argued. Noyes taught that Christ could only return when people completely renounced sin. Somehow, communal ownership and complex marriage would help achieve that end. According to his rules, each man in his group was considered to be married to all of the women and vice versa. Intermediaries arranged sexual encounters, and in a bid for equality, women were given veto power regarding their male partners. Members had to receive special permission to have children. Noise believed that marriage was for this life only, that there would be no need of it in heaven. One way in which his teachings approximated some semblance of orthodoxy. Noyes' later years brought further musings about this life and the one to come as he continued to develop his theology and his utopian community. In spite of other way-out positions, he maintained a classical view of hell as a pit, a place of horrors, and the only ones who would avoid it would be they that do his commandments, who may enter in through the gates into the city and have the right to the fruit of the tree of life. 
Not all of the utopians pursued a theological agenda in the early decades of the 19th century. In fact, some envisioned a perfect society that had absolutely nothing to do with God, nor were they thinking in terms of heaven or hell. Robert Owen, the Welsh-born founder of New Harmony in Indiana, was a socialist whose beliefs embraced the principles of the Enlightenment and would draw the attention of Karl Marx. In his community, men and women held to common ownership, and children were raised apart from their parents. Owen believed that religion was based on the same absurd imagination that resulted in man's being a weak, imbecile animal, a furious bigot and fanatic, or a miserable hypocrite. Toward the end of his life, though, he became fascinated with spiritualism, claiming that he could communicate with great people of the past by means of electricity. His commune lasted three years, from 1825 to 1828. Another non-religious communal experiment was the North American phalanx, consisting of 40 secular societies based on principles of the French utopian socialist Charles Fourier. He believed, among other things, that industrialization was a passing phase in human history. With headquarters in Red Bank, New Jersey, where the movement began in 1844, its adherents asserted that poverty could be eliminated by establishing communities around scientific principles or phalanxes to be run like a joint stock company. This group also practiced equality of the sexes. Most of the phalanxes were but a passing vapor although one lasted for 18 years. Only one 19th century communitarian group has survived according to its founding principles and, in fact, now boasts nearly 12 million members worldwide. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints had its origins in 1820 in upstate New York when a 14-year-old boy went off to seek from God which church he should join. Joseph Smith said that at that time, God the Father and Jesus appeared to him, revealing that the church started by Jesus had vanished, and it was up to Smith to restore it. He claimed that over the next ten years, other heavenly messengers instructed him, a period in which he translated the Book of Mormon. Like noise, Smith gave a great deal of thought to matters of the afterlife, which are elaborated in Mormon instructional books. According to their theology, there are three heavens. The highest levels of the celestial kingdom are reserved for Mormon couples who have been married in a Mormon temple and thus have had their marriage sealed for eternity. They can eventually become a god and goddess with the husband being in control of an entire universe. In addition, Christians who are non-Mormons and have led truly exceptional lives will also spend eternity in the celestial kingdom. 
The second or terrestrial kingdom is the destination for most individuals, while the celestial kingdom is reserved for liars and sorcerers, adulterers and whoremongers. At death, individuals are assigned to one of the three kingdoms for the purpose of learning and making spiritual progress. Furthermore, couples who are not sealed, married in a Mormon temple, will be automatically divorced at death and will spend eternity as single individuals. According to Mormonism, everyone will be resurrected, and unbelievers, the heathen, and children who die before reaching the age of discretion will all go to the celestial kingdom. Additional benefits beyond simple resurrection will be gained by those who do good works. Each of the utopian leaders and his or her communities dreamed of bringing about permanent change in the world. None of them, however, lasted in any way directly connected to their original form, except for the Mormons. For the most part, these were misguided zealots who raised eyebrows, as well as the ire of the people where they lived, as they challenged and flaunted societal norms. It is no wonder that they emerged where and when they did, in a new country with lofty principles, wide open to the highest dreams humanity is capable of dreaming, a place and a time in which old ways were giving way to new visions of a better world. Even so, most people in that era remained Protestant and Orthodox in their convictions, committed to the Creator God and His rules for righteousness. In spite of their brevity or even kookiness, the utopian experiments opened up the national conversation, at first in small ways, to possibilities beyond the accepted and established in matters of life and death. Thank you for joining me for Inspiration from American History. I'm Rebecca Price Janney.